I have been reading an interesting book um, called Intellectuals, and it's by a guy named Paul Johnson. It's, it's about famous writers and philosophers of the 18th and 19th century that has actually molded our society in many, many ways, and all of us in here have been affected by these writers and philosophers. However, it's a different kind of book. There's nothing about philosophy in there. What it talks about is, in detail, the lives these people lived. And some of them are, I mean, they're all famous. It's Rousseau and, and, um, and Tolstoy and Bertrand Russell and Ibsen and people that we, if, if you were, you know, if you went to college or high school or whatever, you are familiar at least with the names. But what's interesting is how alarming their lives are especially since they still have a really big effect on our society. For instance, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but like Rousseau, if you've been in education at all, you know that our educational system has been really affected by the philosophy of Rousseau. He lived a horrible life. Just one detail is that he abandoned, he was promiscuous and abandoned every single one of his children. And yet, we listen to him educationally. So, the reason I'm bringing this up is that if a thinker or philosopher or a writer cannot live even by their own principles, why should we even listen to them? That's how I feel. In fact, you know, when we have speakers here, sure, I care that they're good speakers. Of course. I don't want somebody up here just droning on I hope I don't do that today. Um, But what actually matters to me more is, you know, if they're married, do they love their spouse? If they have children, are they kind to their children? Are they loving to their children? Do they have a heart for their children? Um, You know, if if they work, how do they treat their coworkers? You know, how are they in the world? And so... My, my sense is that we as believers, you know, we're all witnesses, whether we want to be or not, we are witnesses. And if we say one thing on Sunday morning and live a different thing on Monday morning, there's a problem. There's a problem there. But how do we grow? How do we do that? You know, we're, we're different in that we, you know, Christianity is not... It's, I say this all the time, but Christianity is not a religion, and it's not a business. I know there are a lot of church growth books out there, but honestly, we are not a business. And if, if you do that and make it a business, you're going to go down a wrong road. This is my, just my sense. You're just, we're not a business. We are here together because we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes us so different from any other religion on earth. We're not a religion. But how do we change then? Because we don't change from the outside in. It's not about these rules, and we learn these rules, you know, like good Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, we learn these rules and then we do them. That's not how we grow. We grow from the inside out. So how does that happen? And today I'm going to be talking about transformation through the glory of God. So, 
Paul, this was very much on Paul's heart. Um, Let's go to the next one. This is his plea to the Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, that word is the, the most biggest sense of the word beg, okay? Implore, just, I mean, if he could have been down on his knees begging, that's the picture here. He's passionate about this. I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So we've all received a calling. We've received this calling to be with Jesus and to be his witnesses on earth. And Paul's saying, I urge you, I beg you to live a life that matches what you say. So how do we do this? And that has been a driving question in my mind ever since I became a believer. Um, Schaefer, if any of you have ever read Schaefer, one of his books was, How Then Shall I Live? How then shall I live? I'm a believer. How then shall I live? I, I feel that Moses gives us a really good example of how to live. So let's look at his life a little bit. First of all, Moses was incredibly humble. Um, Now the man Moses was very humble. That word means gentle, kind, not self-righteous. More than any man who was on the face of the earth. What an incredible thing for the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible to say about somebody. Moses was someone who didn't promote himself. He didn't think he had arrived. He was very, if you read his whole story, He was so dependent upon God. He was often, when he hit really hard times, and most of those had to do with his his many millions of people trying to kill him, wanting to kill him, he would throw himself on the ground and just seek the Lord. So he was very different a very different kind of leader than some of the leaders we see promoted nowadays. He was very different. Moses was not afraid of God's presence. And this is a real key. This is Exodus 20. Now, this is in the context of getting the Ten Commandments. So Moses, and he's going up and down the mountain, because God keeps telling him, go down the mountain, talk to the people, and then he'd go back up. And so this is what's happening during this whole section of the Ten Commandments, um, getting the Ten Commandments. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and, when, and that was done supernaturally. I mean, it wasn't people down below playing the ram's horn. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. Okay, now, that is a pretty scary sight, um, There's other places where it said that the mountain actually shook violently. So they're they're actually seeing kind of an earthquake, and they're they're there seeing this whole... I mean, this is like a movie, you know, that they're watching. And this is their reaction. What they say to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God directly speak to us, or we will die. And then Moses says, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And the people stood in the distance, and Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. 
So there you see two different choices. There were the people that said, oh no, this is just too scary for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk about God. I'm not going to be with God. I'm going to talk about him, think about him, read about him. But I'm not going to go to him. That's scary. And right after that, you see, and Moses, who has seen exactly the same thing, and he's not a super brave man. If you read through everything, he's not a super brave man. He's just like me. Anyway, you all might be brave. He's just like me. But his reaction is to go straight to that dark cloud. So, Moses... Moses met often with God and sought his presence. This was a regular, you read other sections of the Bible and you get the sense that this is something Moses did often. He actually built this tent uh, of meeting right outside the camp where he met with God regularly and, and the cloud of God's presence would just come down on this tent while he was in there. And the people would come out of their, their little homes, their little tents, would come and look They say, oh, look at that. Look at that. Moses is in there talking to God. But that's all they did, except for Joshua. Joshua spent a lot of time in there too. So, but the rest of the people came out and just looked. Moses, oh, I I want to read this. Then Moses said, if you, meaning God, don't personally go with us, Don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. You see that? You see that? That is us. The only thing that sets us apart, it's not what we say about God. It's not our Bible. It's not anything like that. The only thing that sets us apart from every other person on earth is this presence of God that goes with us. So we can have a choice as people. We can, you know, when God's doing something, we can like come out of our house and go, hmm, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting, but that's just strange. That's just weird. I'm scary. I'm just gonna watch. Or You can be like Moses and say, if you don't go with me, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go anywhere unless you go with me. Because if you don't go with me, I have no favor. If you don't go with me, this is the only thing, God, that sets me apart from everyone else on earth. Our people need you. We need your relationship. So there's a choice, and I feel it's a choice. It's a choice that that we have nowadays, too, as, as believers. Moses is God's friend, and that's astounding. My servant Moses is faithful in all my house. He's saying, Moses, of all the people, Moses is the one I trust. Can you imagine God saying that about you? Um, I speak with him face to face, even plainly. And that means 
what that image is, is a clear picture of intimacy. Face to face, he talked to God. He and God talked as friends. It's incredible. And he talked clearly, not in dark sayings. That means riddles. Like a lot of how God spoke was a little bit confusing. But that's not how he talked to Moses. He talked to Moses clearly. And he sees the form of the Lord. In other words, he sees the Lord as he is. It's amazing. So inside, here's another one, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, yea, Joshua, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So obviously Joshua wanted to do that too. And that's an important verse because what it shows is this wasn't just for Moses. Joshua, who was just one of the people, a young guy, said, I want that too. I want that. I want that. And see, as believers... I understand we're always trying to fit in. I mean, our society right now is all about fitting in. It just is. But as people of God, with God's presence on us, we are going to feel a little different. Accept that. It's okay. We also, with this presence of God, are the kindness, most loving people on earth. And everybody needs that. We know that. Everybody needs that. So even though you feel different, and we are different, we have something that the world needs. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Now, listen to this. This is amazing. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, so that was the Ten Commandments, He was not aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. So now the people are not only, they're afraid of God, now they're afraid of God's man. So do you see how that went? It's amazing to me, Moses had no idea what being in the presence of God had done to him. I think that's true for us too. I think, you know, there, there are stories after stories after stories of people in the Bible and in history, our Christian history, that when people went around them, they sensed certain things or saw a glow or um, there's a, let's say, go, I think it's the next one. Is it the next one? Go to the next one. Oh no, go back. It's not there yet. I'll, I'll wait to tell it till I get there. Um, this was such a common thing for Moses to be face to face and then have this glow on his face that just radiated that he started to wear a veil so that people wouldn't be scared of him. However, when he got in the presence of God, he took that veil off. That is significant. That is totally significant when I'll talk about it in a minute. Okay, the next, next verses, please. Okay, this is, this is Moses' plea to God. Let me know your ways that I may know you. 
So this is what um, David says about Moses. God made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Do you see a difference there? The people chose not to know him, but they could talk about his deeds. They could see the deeds. But Moses knew his ways. Moses knew his ways. He knew how to walk in his ways. Do you see there's a big difference there? Big difference, and I feel that's our choice too. Do we want to talk about him? Do we want to debate theology? Do we want to read books about him? And none of those are bad things. Or do we want to know him? Do we want to know him? And that was the choice that Moses made, to know him. And here's another point. When we spend time in his presence, we change. We change. That's how we change. Um, I'm a counselor. I believe in counseling. Totally I believe in counseling, and I think change does happen with counseling. I also think change happens with a small group. If you need to change, which you probably do because you're a human, um, small groups are one of the best ways to change. However, nothing ever takes the place of being in God's presence and changing there. And you may not be aware of what's happening to you. You may think that nothing's happening to you. But if you spend time regularly in God's presence, you will be changed, and people will recognize it. You'll have other people reacting to you. Now, Paul talks about Moses' experience and gives us more information of how people change. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, which is another way of saying spends time in his presence, the veil is taken away. The veil. There's no more separation. Now, this is just an interesting line. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Now, people take this out of context all the time to mean that in a meeting you can do whatever you want. Okay, but that's not the context of this verse. Um, It's saying, first of all, the Lord is the Spirit, so we know there that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is the same as, as Jesus. It's right there. And where Jesus is, there is liberty. In other words, you have the freedom because of Jesus to take that veil off and speak face to face with God the Father. Does that make sense in that context? But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's a great, that is a great, wonderful um, verse. It's really an important verse. What he's saying, that as we spend time with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, what happens is, it's as if we're staring into a mirror. Now, in the ancient Near East, mirrors were made out of metal. So what you saw in that mirror was a little bit blurry. So here we are looking at Jesus's face, it's a little bit blurry. However, we're beholding him 
Beholding is a present tense verb that is continuous, which means this is something we do continuously, not just Sunday morning. Corporate worship is amazing, incredible, and you can be changed in worship, absolutely. It doesn't take the place of what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You see, there is a lifestyle here because it's a relationship, not a set of rules. And this is the thing. As you behold Jesus, as you behold him, and as you stare, and that's not a casual word. That's not a glance. That is, wow, I'm cutting out all distractions. I'm a very distracting, distractive person. I don't even think you can say that, but I get distracted very easily. So for me to be in the presence of God, I have to make sure there's no TV on in the house because I can hear it. And I have to make sure the dogs are out of the way, my door is shut, I'm in a little room, I tell Bruce, leave me alone, and I just need to, I need to do that. However you need to do that, do it. I think that's why scripture says go into your closet. You need to have a place and the time to behold him. And that takes time. It takes sometimes a little planning. But here's what I really want to concentrate on. We are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Glory, and I spent a lot of time looking at this word glory. It's all throughout Scripture. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It seems to be interchangeable with the presence of God and with the kingdom of God. There's this, there's this glory that as we come into that place, we are changed. And it's interesting, it says, from glory to glory. In other words, it's, in my opinion, I feel this way anyway, that it's limitless. I, I feel even when we go to be with the Lord, and, you know, if it's before Jesus comes, I don't want to get into all the theology, but we will be back on this earth, a new earth at some point. And I feel that even then, that glory is going to be limitless. There'll always be more to learn. There's always going to be more. There's always going to be, I just feel it's never going to end because God is limitless and has no beginning and no end. So it's going to be limitless. We're never going to be bored. That's really good news for me because I get bored easily. And so this is not going to be boring. Let's look at what glory means. Glory has several words. One is kabod. I always get nervous about saying this in front of Jeff because he knows Hebrew, and I don't know how to say these words. But kabod means, and I've sensed this, and unless you've sensed it, you might not know what I mean. Kabod means weight, weightiness, substance, um, it also means majesty and, and other words too, but that weight, I, I know and I especially feel it in corporate anointing when we're in worship. I sensed it this morning. There's a point of time where you just feel kind of a weight dropping upon you. It's not something that's emotional. It's not something you can make happen. Now, there are things that are emotional. There are a lot of times when that people respond to the Holy Spirit 
by shaking or crying or, you know, doing all the things that sometimes scare people. That's our responses usually to the Holy Spirit. But this weight thing is something that you can't make happen. And there are times when we're worshiping, I don't feel it. And then there are times when I just say, he's here. Now that doesn't mean that God wasn't there before. Doesn't mean that. God is everywhere, he's omnipresent. But there are levels of God's presence. And when you start to feel that weightiness, that's when transformation happens. Um, Doxa is the New Testament word. It means splendor, radiance, majesty, and light. Um, I want to go to Stephen. Because Stephen, I just quickly want to go to Stephen. You know, he was a martyr. He was the first martyr in the church. And I just want to read, I mean, this is a point of time where he's going to be, he knows he's going to die. He's going to, there are people ready to kill him, and he's going to die by stoning. This is his reaction. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. There's that word again. He saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I feel that Jesus was standing because he was getting ready to welcome Steve, Stephen, I call him Steve, Stephen in. Okay? But the point here is, why was Stephen so brave here? He might have been a very fearful man, I don't know, but I would think anybody would be fearful in this situation. The reason he was so brave was he was focusing, he was beholding the glory of God. That's what changed him. There's a key here. The glory of the Lord, as I said, has an effect on you, whether you know it or not. Um, Peter, at one point, was so full of the Holy Spirit that as he came out and walked among the people, people were getting their Aunt Beth and, and you know Julie and all their friends who were sick. And saying, come on, we're probably not going to get to talk to him. He's probably not going to pray for you. But you need to come out and just lay there. And his shadow will go over you and you'll be healed. In other words, the substance of the Holy Spirit was so very strong in Peter that as God overshadowed him, his shadow came out as a substance and healed the substance of the Holy Spirit and healed people. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. You know, I know this is nothing like Peter's story, nothing like Stephen's story, nothing like Moses, but it's a little story that meant a lot to me. Um, I have a son that is um, part of a, a band that's pretty popular, um, especially in Europe, and it's a um, post-hardcore music band. Okay, And I have rarely gone to see them because it's an environment that's really difficult for me. Um, For one thing, it's usually full of smoke, cigarette smoking, and I have a little bit of asthma, so that's like hard for me. Also, the language is is hard for me. If it's, I used to um, use really bad language in college until I became um, a believer, and that was something I don't want to get stuck in my head. 
you know. So I was, I usually don't go. And this one day, God told me, um, the band was playing in Philadelphia, and God told me I really felt to go. And I said, how am I going to deal with this? And he said, don't worry about it. So, you know, I prayed some about it, and I went. It was in the Chameleon Club, not, yeah, in Philadelphia. And so we went there, and I went with um, a friend who was also a believer. And it was the most incredible experience I've ever, I've ever had with going into the world in an area that I wasn't thrilled about originally. I immediately, as I got there, I saw all these, um, I saw all these teenagers. And um, I spent the whole time praying for them. And I got this sense that nobody was praying for them, that nobody cared about them, that they were just rejected, that people just thought they weren't worth it. You know, and I, and I did that the whole, the whole time, and I had a wonderful time with the Lord that whole time. And at the end, my, my friend, we're walking away, and my friend said, wasn't that just awful? All those words, did you hear all the language? I hadn't heard one word. I hadn't heard one word. And um, see, if God sends you somewhere, you'll be covered. Just make sure you spend time with the Holy Spirit before you go. I mean, don't just go. Okay, now, does this mean that everyone who experiences the Holy Spirit will be changed? Unfortunately, no. I think you and I all know people who spend who, a lot of time in, in meetings, you know, getting overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. They have lots of experiences with the Holy Spirit, and yet, you don't want to be like them. And you think, well, how can they do this and then be this? It's confusing, right? Well, we have an example of that, Saul. After, this is Saul. I mean, Saul was the first king of Israel. And here's, here's something. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, Samuel's talking to him, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you've come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Here's what I think about Saul. He had, and he had several experiences. He started out well. He started out real well, a lot of high hopes for this king. And he had a lot of passion and zeal for God. And here he is. This is be right before the beginning of him becoming king. I feel at this point, God was overshadowing him and giving him what he needed to start off being king in a really godly way. So he's walking along. He sees this actually happens, and he sees these prophets who have a corporate anointing. They're in unity. They're, they're loving the Lord. They're prophesying over each other. And Saul falls under that corporate anointing. And he starts prophesying too, even though that's not his gift. But he starts doing that too, because there's the, there's the glory of God, and it's this place. And so he does this. I can't remember if it's all night, but it's a long time a really long time, he gets up and he's not changed. How does that happen? How does that happen? You see, here's the thing. God can give you everything you need to 
do your destiny. He can give you, you can spend time with him. He can radiate on you, give you this light. You can, but you have a part to play in this development. You have a part. And if you aren't willing to change, he's not going to make you change. Um, Years later, there's a, a verse in Samuel that says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You know, we don't really ever, ever, ever want that to happen. Saul became a very wicked king. He got worse and worse and worse. Very different from David, who also, who also sinned. But David's plea was, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That was his plea. And there was a heart of repentance in David that wasn't in Saul. So, you know, you can have a wonderful planted garden. I know this really well because I'm terrible at gardening. I always start out well. And I have a beautiful garden, but I don't like weeding. And I don't like getting dirt under my nails. I just don't like it. And so, in a very quick time, especially in July, all the weeds come up. And within a week or two of neglect, you can't even see your garden anymore. Have you ever had that experience? Um, Well, that's like us. God gives us everything we need. He's planted stuff in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. I mean, what more can you have? However, if we aren't part of our development, it it won't happen. Let's um, go to James. Oh, there it is. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I think it's real easy for us to forget who we are after we're in the presence of God. Monday comes. And, you know... Our coworker starts yelling at us. And pretty soon, we forget who we are. There's a forgetfulness that happens to us. Um, I think it's really important, if you want to grow in this friendship with Jesus, if you want to grow, that you also make repentance a part of the fabric of your life. Repentance isn't a popular word anymore, and neither is sin. But the thing is, you know, when we first come to God, we get saved, and, and repentance is usually a big part of our salvation. And salvation means wholeness. It's not a point in time. I mean, maybe the initial point is, but it's not an, just a one-shot and done thing. It's the beginning of that journey. And all throughout <coughs> your journey, you have times where you need to repent. That means turn. Not just saying I'm sorry, but it means turn. Turn. And you know what? You can't really do that without the Holy Spirit. I mean, some people are more disciplined than others, and maybe you can do it for a while, but there is a point where, let's see, look at that that sign. I love that verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see what sin does? It makes us come short of that glory. It makes us come short. Like when we're in sin, and you know, for most of us, 
here, maybe all of us, we're not going out and staying out all night and getting drunk and you know doing drugs or things like that. But I know for a fact that we all still sin. Or at least I do. Maybe you don't. But I, one time I was, I was here at a meeting and it was a big meeting and, and that heaviness was there and I, I said to the Lord, search me out. Is there anything, is there any sin that is blocking me God said, he loves that prayer, by the way. You want to hear from God? Ask him that. Instead of all our petitions of, for our kids and our coworkers, just go to God and say, God, show me my sin. Well, he very clearly said to me, you get offended too easily. I said, really? And I said, I didn't think, I thought I had great forbearance, to be honest. And five minutes later, somebody um, came up to me and literally started screaming at me in the midst of all the people. And it lasted for like 45 minutes. I mean, I took her out, but I mean, I didn't take her out. (laughs) There was a part of me that wanted to. And I felt the whole time God saying, see, see, And so that's been something I've been working on. But you know what? I'm not trying to make myself better. I'm going to the Lord with it and saying, okay, you showed me that. Just overshadow me. Because what he does when he overshadows me then comes out as substance. Okay? So now look at this last verse. Okay, there it is. Repent, therefore. That means turn and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that? You see? There's something here for each of us about repentance. And it's not introspection where you just sit around and go, oh, poor me, what have I done today? My mom used to do that to me. That's not the way to go about it. Every night before I went to bed, she said, what sin did you do today? Well, I sure didn't want to tell her. And, and so that's not what it is. What it is is coming before the Lord and asking him to search out your heart. And then you deal with that. It's a different thing than going, mm, what did I do today? What was bad? Okay? Um, but then, so you repent, and then your sins are blotted out. Now, it's interesting, the ancient Near East blotting out. Ink wasn't like it is today. Um, There was no retention or whatever you call it with ink. And you could take water and cloth and blot it out and it was wiped clean. So it was different than how we see it. But the point is you become clean and then what happens? Times of refreshing. That's the glory. That's the glory of God. That's the weightiness. That's the the place of, of just what we all long for, right? So in ending, in ending, what I would like to do is I, I mean, you certainly can come up and get prayer, but I, I would rather you take a few minutes, just sit, sit here and just ask the Lord to search out your hearts. Just see what he says. And he may not tell you right away. Lots of times he doesn't tell me until I'm driving my car what I ask him 
earlier on. So, but he will tell you. He will tell you. And then you can just bring it to him when you have time with him. You can bring it to him. And you have that blotted out. And you will be clean and you will be prepared for another time of refreshing. So, Father, we just sit here before you, Lord. Father, we do say that unless you go with us, we don't want to go. Unless you go with us, Father, there's really nothing for us. We love to be in your presence. We want to carry that. We want to carry that wherever we go. We want to bring joy and peace and love and kindness outside this building. Father, I just really ask for, for my people here, Lord, that you would just shine your glory on us, that we would be your people, not just in word, Father, but in deed. Father, may we know your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.